passage is from Ecclesiastes, um, chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, not 1 to 8. So we're going to stop at verse 7. Okay. Uh, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light, and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So we're starting Preacher's Choice today, um, and we'll be in Preacher's Choice from today until Mother's Day. And I chose to talk about the topic of aging. And I'm not really sure why I picked that, but it's actually been a really interesting week thinking through um, aging. Humans have kind of mastered and dominated the physical space in the universe. We're born being able to run and to jump and to turn. Um, we can build things basically as high as we want. We can move things from here to Brisbane basically as fast as we want. Uh, we can bend shapes and appearances to make them look any way that we want. We've more or less mastered the three dimensions of space. But time, time is a different beast and we have no mastery of it. We can't move one second backwards, we can't jump one minute forwards, we can't pause it, we can't take back regrets. And so we're mastered by time. Time just marches forward, it's in control, and we age whether we like it or not. And so time and age really scares some people, even the relatively young, and they just want to put it out of their minds. They fear it, and they fear it for the people that they love as well. And they fear it maybe even more than they fear death. And the idea of hating old age or fearing old age is kind of a subtle foothold in our culture as well. So I've had this picture of an elderly man up on screen for a little while now. What do you think of him? How would you describe him? He's almost definitely older than anyone else in this room. How do you think he would describe himself or his own life? I'll give you 15 seconds to think about it. And uh, you can shout out your thoughts if you want, um, but you can keep them to yourselves as well. What do you think he thinks about himself? Okay. Anyone want to share or you guys want to keep it to yourself? Okay. You can keep it to yourself. <laughs> um, who knows what you might have thought, right? But my guess is that it's, it's not overly positive. It's maybe sad in some ways. 
I think the world likes to enjoy life to the full. And they imagine that they can only do it until about 30 or 40 years of age, 50 at the most. I think the world likes the motto of living hard and dying young. So what do you think the world thinks of this man? Maybe they feel sorry for him. Maybe they don't see much value left in him because he's weaker than he once was. Maybe he has no more utility to the world. Maybe part of the world wants to legalize euthanasia for him. Because I guess old age is just that repugnant. Growing old is such an indignity. The world doesn't want to be him. Ecclesiastes is a really thought-provoking book. It touches on the deep topics of life, uh, like time and like rhythms of nature and like God. And at the end, it especially talks about aging. And maybe it surprised you at what was said because it doesn't seem too dissimilar to what the world says about aging. We've already read the passage, but the poem is so... Well, I find it so eerie and vivid that I think it's worth me just rereading it so I don't spoil it with too much explanation. So listen with me or follow with me even as I reread those seven verses. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light, and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the street when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So it seems like the teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is speaking to a young man about what lies ahead. There'll come a time in life when you have no pleasure in living. Why? Because those days will be dimmed. The sun won't be bright for you and there'll be rain clouds in the sky even after it rains. Your body will weaken, you'll drag yourself along, and then suddenly the cord snaps, the bowl breaks and it ends. People debate about what this is all a picture of. Is it a picture of a failing body? Or is it a town in mourning? Or is it the end of the world? You can kind of see all those elements in there if you read it, but it's a poem. Whatever it's saying, you know what it's saying. It's saying age is repugnant. 
So what is Ecclesiastes saying about this man on screen? It's maybe not pleasant, but it gels with what we hear in our culture. Wrinkles are ugly, grey hairs should be dyed away, weakness is a sin. By extension, what we're saying is desirable is beauty and usefulness and utility and independence. And how can we say that that's wrong? How many of us in our 30s or 40s or even our mid and late 20s are already feeling what Ecclesiastes says about our bodies? At this point, I hope, you might be thinking or maybe you, you've read in an article or heard in a sermon, that's right, life in this world is marred, it's broken, but God will make all things new. And we can be part of that through Jesus. Uh, we've preached through revelation after all. Forget this world, forget aging, forget time. All we've got to do is wait for the new creation and this will just all be better. And that's good. And I think your instinct is right. But I don't think that's all of the story. Because time and aging are the only ways we can experience this world. If you stop aging, an embryo never becomes a baby. And a baby never becomes an adult. And a tree would never bear fruit. And wine would never age into good wine. Time and aging are relentless. But they're the relentless means by which we experience this creation. If there is nothing good in aging, that would mean that every day we live is almost a curse. And the elderly then are the most cursed. Because youthfulness is, youthfulness is strong, but aging is repugnant. Listen to the prophet Zechariah's image of restoration. When God one day returns to Jerusalem, Zechariah says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with a cane in his hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. When everything is restored, Zechariah doesn't see just middle-aged men and women roaming the streets in their prime, but he sees old men and old women, so old they need a cane to go with them where they go. It might not be literally what happens at the restoration of everything, but the image is that it's a blessing returning to Jerusalem one day. To be old in Jerusalem is a blessing. It's embodied in an old body, a body that's lived many years under the blessing of God. Listen to Isaiah's vision of restoration in this chapter. Sorry, in chapter 65. Uh, this is verse 20 on screen, but I'll read from verse 17 because it might be interesting for us, having just read through Revelation. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Sounds a lot like Revelation. Uh, John almost certainly borrows the image from this book. And now the verse on the screen. Never again will it be 
will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years? The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Again, old age is blessing. Even in the new creation, many years is much blessing. The more of it, the better. And lastly, listen to the, uh, the satisfying description of the end of Abraham's life in Genesis. Um, then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. What a, what a beautiful way of saying a life of many years is a blessing. A life of many years is good. And don't think it's just an Old Testament thought. Jesus in the New Testament displays the same thought at Lazarus' tomb. His young friend was cut down too early. Uh, perhaps he was strong and capable. Uh, in our day, we might say he burnt bright and then burnt out. To everyone around, this was a tragedy. And to Jesus, this was a tragedy. He didn't say, better to die in your prime. He wept at his tomb. It's sad to see an old man or an old woman die, but there's some comfort in knowing that they lived out their years. But when a child or a youth dies, you mourn the loss of their unspent time. Everything they missed out on, maybe finishing school, maybe traveling the world, maybe falling in love and getting married and raising children. Those things only come with time and with age. Old age, the Bible tells us, is a blessing. And we can find so many more examples of it through Scripture. To God, old age is not repugnant. So what are we missing? And even what is Ecclesiastes missing? How can Ecclesiastes' description of old age resonate with us so much and press on the disgust of ageing in our hearts, yet the rest of the Bible can view ageing as a blessing and even part of the restoration, the new creation, ageing? The answer is probably bigger than we can know, uh, but I think we'll get part of the answer when we look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was king over everything, but when he became human, he took on all the parts of humanity, including its subjection to time and aging. He grew from a baby to an adult. He ate fruit and meat and bread, all because he entered a world subject to timing and aging. In our culture, we attribute success to the bold, the one who takes action and makes things happen. That's what's attractive about every hero in every story or movie or novel. They get it done. They grab the bull by its horns. They're the active agent. So when we get old and frail, when our eyes grow dim, when the grasshopper drags itself along, we lose our ability to take action. We can't make things happen like we used to. We're no longer able to get things done, no longer independent. We're no longer the active agent. And so no longer are we of any value in this culture. We've become a passive agent. Although Jesus never grew to old age and he never quite lost his strength, 
um, a lot of people observe a noticeable difference between how Jesus acts in the world before the Garden of Gethsemane and after the Garden of Gethsemane. So before the Garden of Gethsemane, he tra travels around Judea and Samaria and Galilee. He goes where he pleases. He calms the storm. He rebukes Pharisees. He goes into the temple and flips tables. He's the archetypal hero of the story. He's making things happen. He's the active agent. But after Gethsemane, things seem to change. The Gospel of Mark kind of expresses this as less active verbs, and he starts to use passive verbs instead. The Gospel of John changes its setting from daytime to nighttime after Gethsemane. Jesus seems to stop acting and stop achieving, and instead he waits and receives. After Gethsemane, Jesus becomes a passive agent. He is kissed by Judas, he's arrested by the guards, he's judged by Pilate, and he's crucified. So although Jesus never grew to old age, it's thought he died around 30 or maybe 33, he shared this thing in common with the aged and with the elderly. The end of his life was marked by passivity. He was acted upon and he wasn't the actor. He waited and he was led to the cross and he received death. And yet in this moment, he bore the image of God maybe more than any other moment in his life. And that teaches us that God is more than a God who acts, but in his humanity, he's also a God who waits and receives. We would normally call this submission or maybe even humility. And so that brings dignity to the acts of waiting and receiving. The very human act of needing to wait and needing to receive which is mostly forced upon us by maybe unexpected accidents or eventually by time and age and are only ever very rarely chosen. These acts, which are mostly perceived as a function of weakness and a mark of approaching death, are the very acts by which Jesus brings life and salvation. So he shows that the acts of waiting and receiving the acts that are natural to old age can be acts that reflect the image of God. And so being the passive agent is given dignity. So we're all headed relentlessly into the future. Time will make our bodies age and tire and weaken, but it's a gift. Because in age, we discover the dignity of humble passivity the ability to participate and to reflect God's image by humbly waiting and receiving, not doing. Without age, we might never discover that to love someone else or to serve someone else or to hug and to accept someone else, as we're all commanded to do, requires someone to be loved and someone to be served and someone to be hugged. Someone must give and someone must receive. Humble. So how do we understand what Ecclesiastes says then about ageing in the context of what we've just been thinking through? See verse 1. The end of Ecclesiastes is a call to young people to remember God in their strength 
before they get old. It's not really a poem about the feeble ricketiness of bones, but the creaking of the bones encourages us to remember God with the strength of our youth. Not because it's impossible to do when you're old, or it's too late to do when you're old, but because it's hard to do when you're old. The strength of your arms and legs are faded. Light in your eyes becomes dim. And it's too hard to be an active agent, maybe impossible to be an active agent, to love, to hug. So I think it says to you in your youth and your strength, act and be an active agent. Remember God. What he leaves unsaid, what it implies is that in the later years in your life, when your body weakens and fails and will not let you be an active agent, it says you're not free from having to remember God because he gave you all these years that you're living. In your old age, you'll need to learn new ways to remember and to serve him. You must serve him and reflect his image by being the receiver of love. To wait. You need to learn in your old age to be the receiver of the beauty of this world. To be faithfully passive and to only wait and receive because that's kind of all you have left. You might not have utility, you might not have a lot to contribute to society, but Jesus also waited and Jesus also received, and so he gives that action dignity. So Ecclesiastes would say to the young ones here, use your youth and and your vigour to remember God, be an active agent, love your neighbour, serve your brother, hug your loved ones, but remember your strength will fade. And these acts... And sorry, in these acts, it's not only you that's reflecting God's image, but the other person as well. And to the older ones, to the ones that have been blessed with many years or the ones that will be blessed with many years, he says, you must remember God also. But you have to learn a new and a hard way to do it. You must learn to reflect God's image in waiting and receiving. But this is a blessing. To live is to age. And yes, that should point us to the new creation. But ageing itself, I think the Bible tells us, is a blessing. To have many years of life, even in a weak body, is a blessing. It's the price we pay for our passage through time, which means we experience everything in this creation and the means by which we learn new ways to reflect God's image by waiting and receiving. Old age is not repugnant, it's a blessing. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the people in our lives that you've blessed with many years of life. Uh, We ask that you'll help us to see them in a new light, to not see them as chores to do or duties to fulfil, but as people that are struggling to live and to serve and reflect your image in new ways, people that have lost the strength of their youth and now must discover how to be uh, faithful people that reflect you passively. 
Uh, we pray for them that you might help them learn those lessons. We pray for us that we might see them as valuable um, and reflecting your image. We ask that you might change our views on ageing to not be like the world's uh, that rejects the old, but to be like yours that sees it as a blessing to have many years. And we look forward to the new creation where ageing will uh, be there but be different, uh, be something that we all enjoy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we've got some Q&A time, and I think we've got a few on Padlet already. Uh, anything on Zoom, uh, Sanya? No? Anybody here have any questions before we get onto the Padlets? If you do, please raise your hand and we'll come to you. Okay, if not, let us uh, see what the first question is. Um, John, uh, can you clarify how showing act of love at young age also reflect the person's receiving? Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, that's, that's probably just, I probably wasn't too clear in the sermon about how the two parts were. Oh, yeah. um, so I guess, I guess what I'm, uh, when you look at the, any act of love, so it says God is love in the Bible, right? Like he, he's just kind of, it's like an ontological statement. He just is love. Uh, it doesn't say, uh, it does say it gives love, but like in that statement, it doesn't say it gives love, it doesn't say it receives, it just is love. But when you look at, say, love or um, care or hugging in, from a human perspective, we can't, we can't be is love. You can't say John is love or Lindy is love. Um, we can only say that Lindy gives love or Lindy receives love. So... Uh, I think that's what I was trying to get to uh, with that idea of active and passive uh, love. So for the act of love to happen, it takes a young person to give love and it takes an old person to receive it, mostly because the young person has the strength to give love in all of its dimensions. Like we can give love as service, we can give love as hugging, as driving someone to and from, spending money on them. Uh, and when you become old, you kind of lose that option. You can only receive it, and that's really hard. Because uh, I guess if you look at Jesus' life again, the first half of his, oh, pre-Gethsemane, he's active, he's doing stuff, and you're amazed at his miracles. But the, the post-Gethsemane part, when he's heading towards the cross, it's really sad because it's like he has no power. He's just led where the soldiers lead him. He's crucified because someone else wants to. He's judged falsely, and he can't even speak. So the... The idea of the young, um, so let me reread that because I just went on a tangent. <laughs> Can you clarify showing acts of love? Yeah, so how it reflects in the older person is that the act of love for a human is two parts, the giver and the receiver. Uh, for every giver, there has to be a receiver. And the natural person to receive are the ones that can't give. Uh, so that's kind of how the young in their love that's how they both kind of reflect God's image by giving love and receiving love because just as Jesus gave mm. and then at the end received to uh, give us salvation. Mm. Okay. Yeah. okay. I hope uh, that's clear. Yeah. Follow up with a question. If <laughs> yeah, feel free to put down a follow-up question if you want. Um, and the second question is, how can we love our elders, older members of our church beside health and safety? Do we pray for humble passive, passivity for them? Um, 
Yeah, I, I think, I think uh, so th this is all pretty new thoughts to me as well. Like I, I just kind of, I'm putting all this together as I've been thinking about aging. But yeah, humble passivity, I think is really hard. It's hard when you were a strong person and then you become a weak person. So mm. you, you kind of get that in a really sharp sense, you know, when someone is in an accident and suddenly disabled. Um, and I saw it like, say, with my dad, like when he was you know, capable, he always tell me stories of what he did, you know, rode around in motorbikes and like, <laughs> was like in boxing competitions, blah, 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 like all this stuff, right? I, I'd never seen that dad. The only dad that I saw, because I was born, he was like 48 when I was born. So the only dad that I'd ever seen is the weak dad, right? Mm. And so for him, I think it was a struggle because he's never, for, I guess for most of my life, yeah, when you're 48, it's all right. Maybe like when you're 58, it's, it starts to, um, he, he, can't, he can't love me, right? I'm the child and he's the parent, but like it's, it's actually harder to, receive love when you've been strong like going through being capable and riding wherever you want and doing whatever you want mm. to suddenly sitting and waiting to receive love is a really hard thing so i think it is something we really need to do to pray for mm. um for our older members and for us to develop into people that actually humbly receive things like that mm. um and i think for the for the active side for the younger person who's doing the loving um I think it's it's important to do it just like really generously to like really enjoy spending time. Yeah, if you live uh, with your parents or with your grandparents, it's like a great opportunity to to love them as that transition goes from them being the strong ones to them being the weak ones. It's really complicated, I think, and um, a very tough stage in life to navigate. But I think if it can be done well in the community, it, like age is is just definitely a blessing. Um, so yeah, yeah, we definitely need to pray for humble passivity. We definitely, I think, need to love really generously as well. Mm. Um, and not see old people as a waste of time. I think that's the hard one. Like we're in a really like driven world mm. where we have to like get this done, get that done, mm. walk quick. Like, man, when, when my dad, like my dad had dementia when he was old, uh, <laughs> older, um, and like I take him to the shops, like it's a, it was maybe a, a five minute drive to the shops, get something, come back. It should be like a 15 or 20 minute trip, but it's, it was literally 20 minutes to the car <laughs> and then drive him there. That was the fast part. Then get him out. If like, I lost him in the shops once for like three hours. <laughs> and, and I was like, I was so angry. But if I reflecting on this, yeah. like, I guess that's an act of love, right? Mm. Like he's, he, he needs to receive love at that time, patience, all those things. And I really needed to give it. I didn't, so I didn't do that very well. Um, but not, not being rushed in spending time with older people. Like we've all got stuff to do, but just trying to take that a bit of extra time and have a bit of extra patience. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's another question just pop up is how can all people stay relevant and contribute to the society? Mm. <laughs> um, so maybe two parts to that, that question. No, I think the, the active passive thing is never a hundred percent. Like we're always in part active and in part passive. Mm. Um, so I think the elderly often can, can contribute really well with wisdom and with past experience, which we as young people tend to ignore because it's like, 
ah, that's the old way of doing things. Why do I even care that, you know, you used to do this, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but there is, there's wisdom buried in that if you can look for it mm -hmm. and if you can find it and if they can explain it well. So I guess explaining well is a really good way of contributing. But beyond that, I think what I, think what I was trying to say today is that they contribute by, by accepting, right? So they're, they're the ones that just need to be loved and that's their contribution to society. Um, they don't need to do, they don't, the world tells us they need to do something, they need to be useful, have utility. Um, and that's why I think people really hate old age because it's, it's a, like you can't, the, the definition of old age is like you can't do those things anymore. Mm. Um, and so the, the, I think we have to reshape our idea of their contribution to, to just being what that age is. Mm. That age is just more passive than active. Mm. Um, and there's honour in both because Jesus, there, there's, a, there's a view that God is only, there's this word impassable, like you can't change him. He's the doer, but he's, nothing's ever done to him. Like you can't, you can't um, plead with him and change his mind. You can't mm. change his plans. Mm. Yep. So there's this thought that he's impassive. But I don't, like, it's kind of true, but I don't think it's fully true. Because in Jesus, you see him change totally, right? He becomes a human. He becomes passive. He does all those things. So God himself is active and passive. So there's got to be dignity in both. Mm. Um, so old people can stay relevant more by, I think, us changing what we see in society, like how we view society, mm, uh, to, mm. to not be like the yeah, old people have to do more stuff or, no. I don't know, yeah, <laughs> get, get an iPhone or whatever, but like they just, they just have to be that stage of life because that's where we're going to be there soon Definitely, enough. Yeah. Like I'm feeling it a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Me too. <laughs> You're getting old. <laughs> I, I remember there are things I used to be able to do for a long period of time, but yeah. now just like, yeah, no way. Yeah. <laughs> for example, swimming one few laps in the swimming pool. I used yeah. to be able to do that, but now one lap and I'm already huffing, puffing. You know? yeah. So things like that. Our yeah. body has been designed to age, and once it ages, you, you, you get less and less yeah. you know, active. And, that's all right. There's blessing. There's blessing somewhere in that if we can, Definitely. if we're wise enough to, to look and see. Yeah, yeah. and I think the, the contribution I think for elderly is like for me personally, I see that I uh, take my father as an example. I mean, he has taught pretty much everything that I I know mm. and uh, and do, like you know, being a little bit of a handyman at home and fixing this, fixing that. I mean, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be able to know how yeah. to do those things. You know, so yeah. that, that 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 is part of the contribution. Yeah, yeah. to the society as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess the contribution doesn't stop the second that they stop exactly. contributing, right? Yeah. The contribution can go on. Go on, exactly. And it carries on. Yeah. Okay, we got another one. Uh, if the oldest were once young and were a bad person, why is it that now we have to feel sorry for them? <laughs> okay. Wow. And expect us to do things for them. <laughs> Will they have remorse, oh, regret, <laughs> or what they're once did. Okay, yeah, I don't know how to answer that one. So, wow. Okay, so there, there might be some hurt behind that question. Like, yeah, you know, maybe like this person had not great parents or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, th I think the tough thing about the Christian life is like, yes, you still do. Yeah, you, still do you have to love them still. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, and you can take that from any angle. You can say, like, on your father and mother. You can say, love your enemy. You can say all these things, right? Yeah. You, you basically have to love them. There's no, I don't think there's an escape for, for the Christian at that yeah. point. Um, and I guess part of that is seeing that, uh, that life and times and situations are bigger than us. Like where I was kind of saying we're kind of subject to time, right? Mm. Time does whatever it wants with us. It's going on right now. I can't stop it. You can't stop yeah. it. And, and time can really change someone's life. Like at this point, you might be the one that's hard done by, but there's a possible time where you become the person that does these terrible things. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to answer the question. I think that the harsh answer is like, as Christians, I don't think there's any escape from loving someone. You kind of have to love them. Uh, to different degrees, right? You don't love your brother and sister in Christ the same way you love an enemy, but the love is expressed differently. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think being terrible in your youth excludes other people treating you well in your age, I think. That's a hard question. And, I'm, yeah. and that's really tough to wrestle with if you've gone through that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to say theologically. But. Well, I mean, uh, for me, I've, I've, I've uh, known people who have gone through it exactly the same experience as what was said up there, mm-hmm. where they now uh, have become Christian, mm-hmm. but they're telling me about how in the past the, the father used to, you know, being um, so bad that treating them, mm. um, smacking them, and, and, and even they to a stage where they feel like they fought back and they ran away and things like that. But now they've come to know Christ and they've learned what it is to be um, God's children. They've actually uh, persevered and they're actually um, trying to show God's love to this father that, that's mistreated them um, when they were young. And they still persevere. Uh, till the till the very end, mm. until the deathbed, and eventually the, the the father actually did, you know, accepted his love and mm. acknowledged and wanted to receive God in his deathbed mm. because of his perseverance wow. of for trying to forgive them. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like the the like that's the hope, eh? Like <laughs> yeah, that's what you hope would happen. Exactly. Yeah. And might or might not, but that's that's like really wonderful. That's a wonderful example. Well, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Kiet. In person. Uh, so yep. Looking at it from the youth side, you're a young person and you have a bad. Like, it doesn't mean that you deserve to be loved. Yeah. Because you've got the potential to contribute to society. Yep. Yep. So, from the youth side, you're an old youth and it's not bad. It doesn't mean that you're Yeah, yeah. It doesn't exclude you. Just like this one or even many wrong actions, eh? it doesn't exclude you. And you love naughty kids all the time. Like <laughs> maybe it's a bit harder, but you still love naughty kids. Yeah. Um, especially if they're yours. I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's um, not a comment on Noah, by the way. That's just, <laughs> that's just general general uh, <laughs> statements. <laughs> uh, all right. Um.